0: This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the first official episode of Politically Homeless. We changed the name. Politically homeless was just too good, and while my ego struggled with taking my name out of the title, sometimes you got to do what you got to do for the greater good of humanity, and that's what we're doing here, and you know how you can contribute to humanity even more than you already are, so by joining the Politically Homeless Patreon. Since the name of the Patreon is the same as the podcast, I'm assuming that there will be more backers. Jumping on board soon. And if you approve of the change of the name to Politically Homeless, get your sexy ass in the Patreon community. You're going to get a bonus episode every week that is 100% crowdsourced from the Patreon community. And that's only for the Patreon community, as well as ad-free versions of this episode. Now, our ads are great, and I do an amazing job delivering them, and they're entertaining and informative, and they bring you quality products that you may not have heard of anywhere else. So I understand there is value in the ads, but if you would like, like to, you know, not have those politically homeless, Patreon link is in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash politically homeless. Now today we've got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to discuss. <sighs> Derek Chauvin's trial started. We're not going to talk about that. Biden's not putting his name on, on any checks, but we're still going to talk about stimulus. Of course, going to talk about fat people. Uh, Burger King, those things seem to go together pretty well. Um, abortion a little bit, you know, the fun stuff, the good stuff, all of those goodies. And it's something to think about. We're going to discuss why people give a fuck about the things that they give a fuck about. Cause I had some really interesting conversations today on, um, on my DMS in my DMS. And here's why I had taken a pretty firm stance against discussing this Meghan Markle situation and her interview uh, with Oprah. I was like, I really don't want to talk about this. People were asking about it. It just does not move the needle for me as far as things that I give an actual fuck about. But here I am discussing it. We're not going to discuss it on the show on the actual show, but I feel uh, obligated to sit here and have this conversation. And I share one or two things on my story. One or two things on my story. You know what? We're going to wait. We're going to wait for later in the show. We're going to wait for later in the show for that. Anyways, so I plan on getting up. I get up about 530 in the morning, this morning anyways, (laughs) and I plan on getting up, doing the show early. I'm ready to do the show. I'm excited. And then I start thinking about this royal family business, this whole thing that's going on, and then I consult my life partner, Kelly, and she was like, you just need to watch the interview. So I spent a couple hours watching this interview of my precious time watching this interview and everyone's talking about it and the whole thing. And is the Royal family racist and are they oppressive? And were they really concerned about, about the color of this child's skin and how dark it was going to be? The big questions that really matter. How about this? Let's just reevaluate our situation here. Let's reevaluate the way we're looking at this. Prince Andrew is friends with Jeffrey fucking Epstein or was friends with Jeffrey Epstein before he killed himself In prison. He went to the island. There's accusers. He won't talk to the FBI. I don't know. There's dead bodies found on the fucking queen's premises. That really happened. Princess Diana was killed by the royal family, allegedly. And here we are talking about whether or not they're concerned about the skin tone of a child. And maybe they didn't like Meghan Markle because she's half black. We're talking about the actions of a bunch of inbred bucktooth fucktards. And whether or not they are racist, are we serious? Do we really take the opinions of inbred bucktooth fucktards that seriously? They are so insulated from the rest of the world that they have in, they're in, incapable of connecting to to real people and you're concerned about whether or not they are racist. That's the biggest problem right now. That is the biggest problem that we have with the royal family is that they are subtly racist. Really. And Oprah coming with the hard-hitting questions, why didn't she ask uh, Prince Harry, or just Harry now, why didn't she ask Harry why his uncle doesn't want to talk to the FBI about fucking kids? Novel concept. Oprah got a lot of power. You got a perfect opportunity here. Why not? Throw it out there. See what happens. They're not on good terms right now. And this hairy guy, I feel bad for this guy. I really kind of feel for this guy. He was born into this crazy ass family, a legitimate royal family. Then his mom tries to bounce. They kill the woman. Because of paparazzi and a tunnel and a drunk drunk driver. Like what? All none of that stuff makes sense. So they kill this guy's mom. And then as soon as he marries this smoke show, by the way, Meghan Markle is fine. You can say what she wants. She's a D, you know, a D-list celebrity, washed up actor, all those things. But the girl is fine. Let's just be real here. Okay? So he marries this lady. And then she gets attacked by all the tabloids for God knows what reason. Just because they didn't want to like her, I guess. Which could be racism. I don't fucking know. I'm not, a royal, I'm not in the royal family. <sighs> so this guy's got to deal with all this bullshit. Confronting his unconscious bias. To appease his wife. And then he's torn between his wife and the family that killed his mother. So we're in this whole situation, and we're still worried about the royal family's subtle racism. This is insane. Why are we talking about all of this? Why is this the thing? There's so many fucked up things to be considered about the royal family. And then on the other side of the issue, that's my one side of the issue, right? On the other side, you have this mostly conservative group of people that are upset about uh, Meghan Markle being the victim, pretending to be a victim. It's like, well, you guys hate the royal family and she's putting them on blast. An enemy of your enemy is your friend, right? (laughs) That's how we work in the Middle East. Conservatives seem to love that shit. So I don't understand this. So on one side, you have people you know, believe all women types on the left that are doing their whole thing and their song and dance and whatever, whatever. And then you have conservatives that are mad because she's playing the victim because she married into the royal family. and She has a great life now. Let's not, let's be real. She has a great life here. But she's putting the people that you don't like on blast, especially if you think they're like lizard cannibal shapeshifters. And that doesn't satisfy you. Someone from the inside's putting them on blast and now you're not satisfied, QAnon. Because she's part of the problem now. And none of this shit makes sense. None of this shit makes sense at all. Not even a little bit. Not even kind of. Is the royal family racist? Probably. (laughs) I'm a gambler and I would put money on that. (laughs) What the fuck are we doing? What in the actual fuck are we doing with this? Come on. (sighs) Weird times. Weird times. I mean, and the thing is, they didn't like they didn't like Meghan Markle apparently in the royal family. And I don't understand why. I guess it's the inbreeding at some point in their lineage. Why are they so? They should be so stoked to have an attractive, diverse woman to mix into their gene pool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was, she's doing them a favor, really. Have you seen these motherfuckers? She's doing them a favor. They should be very grateful for her. This gets into some eugenics. I understand. I'm just saying she increased the quality of their offspring for generations to come. (laughs) Oh man. Being concerned, being concerned about how dark a child's going to be. That was real. I mean, I think sometimes that can be a valid question or a curiosity. If you're in a mixed race couple, like, Ooh, I wonder what, you know, just like you are curious about what kind of, what color you're, kid's hair is going to be if you have two different color hair like this thing that's a that's a legitimate curiosity i don't think it's someone else's place to ask you that question but it's a you can't say you don't think about it if you're in a mixed race situation like a little bit of curiosity also mixed kids are the most beautiful children but here we are oh man weird times weird times you know what you can do to support this show if you don't want to join the patreon is uh so i mean even if you are on the patreon it doesn't matter where the fuck you are go to apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review and share it on social media that little rant that i just did is going to be on social media somewhere probably on igtv you can share that if you enjoyed it if you thought if you found that uh thought provoking or just enjoyable in any way i'd very much appreciate it now with all that being said and since we're not talking about Meghan markle on this show let's go ahead and get into it it's time for the state of things to do something in the intro there. I got too heated. I want to thank Kylie, Haley, Chelsea, Jamie, and Tim for joining the Politically Homeless Patreon community. Thank you both, all, all, all five of you so, so much. It means the world to me. It really does. Now, let's discuss obesity and COVID. Surprise, surprise. Obesity and COVID death rates are... Linked in some way, some mysterious way. This is some Forbes. We're gonna dive into a bunch of stuff here. It's gonna be great. Uh, so, in an it says obesity and COVID death rates closely linked in new study. <laughs> Oh, an analysis of COVID-19 mortality data from the World Obesity Federation released Thursday found a dramatic correlation between countries' death rates and obesity rates, shedding new light on the role obesity has played in driving global deaths of over 2.5 million. All right. (laughs) Through analysis of Johns Hopkins University virus mortality data and the World Health Organization's data on obesity... The World Obesity Federation, a nonprofit associated with the WHO, calculated that 2.2 million of the pandemic's 2.5 million global deaths were in countries with high levels of obesity. Interesting. Interesting stuff there. The report found death rates were 10x higher in countries where more than 50% of the population is overweight, pointing at the UK and the US as examples of fat motherfucking countries. Uh, the UK has the third highest death rate in the world, 140, 184 deaths per 100,000. And the fourth highest obesity rate at 63.7% of of adults classifying as overweight. Closely followed by the U.S., which has 152.49 deaths per 100,000 and a 67.9% of the population living with obesity. I like how they say that in a very gentle way. 67.9% of the population living with obesity. How about a 69 or 67.9% of the population is obese? living with obesity. It's like living with type one diabetes. Like, no, that's a different thing. Uh, Vietnam, on the other hand, has the lowest COVID-19 death rate in the world at .04 deaths per 100,000 and also reports the second lowest rate of obesity in adults, 18.3%. The report highlights that there is not a single example internationally of a country with low levels of obesity uh, classified at less than 40% of the population overweight and a high death rate. So we're learning here. We're learning here. We're figuring some things out about this whole COVID deal. All right. While age has been the predominant focus of analysis of risk in hospitalization and death to date, the summary points that this report shows for the first time that overweight populations come as a close second. <sighs> okay. This should come as a surprise to no one, okay? Because if we look over here, we're going to switch over to another article that's from health.com, and uh, it says five pre-existing conditions that make it harder to fight coronavirus. So if we scroll down here, let's look at those. Heart disease, directly linked with obesity. Chronic respiratory disease, linked with obesity. Diabetes, directly caused by obesity. Um, depression and anxiety. I don't know. I'd be depressed and anxious if I was fat as fuck, too. There's a fucking problem there. Right, those, All of those risk factors, the top five that make, make it hard to deal with COVID, are all caused by or symptoms of obesity. Obesity. Now, if we go over here, and I know we're going to get into masks, and that's going to piss everybody off. So if we look at the COVID-19 uh, death rates by state, you'll see that the top here is New Jersey. Then you've got New York, Massachusetts, Mississippi, South Dakota. Uh, and then we get into some lower rates, under 200 deaths per 100,000. Connecticut, Rhode Island, Louisiana. We keep going down here. I want to just look at a few things. Okay, so we go down, and I want to point out uh, the District of Columbia, D.C., right, has the highest mask compliance, the highest mask compliance in the nation, I believe. That's what Sagar Jetty said. I believe him. Just barely edges out Texas and Florida who have very relaxed... Mask mandates or none at all now, but throughout the entire time, I've been very relaxed on masks, just barely worse than Texas and Florida with impeccable mask compliance. That should tell you something, right? It makes sense. Now, if we go down and keep moving down near the bottom here, we have Colorado, Idaho, Ohio, Oklahoma. Uh, who has also had very relaxed mask mandates as well, North Carolina, Kentucky, New Hampshire, Virginia, and then Washington, Utah, Oregon, Alaska, Maine, Hawaii, and Vermont. Now, you can see a direct correlate here with the number of fat people, obese people, excuse me, people living with obesity, and number of deaths. Now, I'm kind of surprised because Texas is a really fat state, Um, So that kind of trips me out. But one thing I was really proud of when I went and did a little research to see that Colorado, exercise.com claims Colorado is the number one fittest state in the union. Obesity ranking first place, total gym ranking eighth place. And that is one of the reasons we've been able to recover from COVID and right now have the lowest and that's that's the total what I just showed you on that last chart or, and talked through in that last chart was the total throughout the entire time that COVID has been around but as of late in the past several months um, aside from Hawaii Colorado is doing the best in the country which is fantastic for us even though we still have a shit ton of mandates that make no sense it says not only is Colorado the fittest state in the entire country but it has maintained this status for over a decade which is downright remarkable. It sure is. So let's discuss this a little bit. This is one of those things where I'm glad this is coming out because people are finally being honest about the situation. Finally being honest about the situation. Your quality of health is directly correlated with how much COVID will impact your life. I've had this argument with vaccines, with masks, different things. One of the reasons it makes very little sense to wear a mask in the gym, and I've stood up about that and talked about that at length numerous times. It makes no fucking sense. There's a study out of Colorado that shows that it doesn't make any sense. They are not a place for spread, and discouraging and limiting capacity at gyms is is antithesis is the, is the, is the opposite thing that we should do. There are places where mask mandates make a lot of sense. Maybe you're around a bunch of obese people. You know, maybe if you go to Burger King, wear a mask while you're walking in, right? Maybe if you're sitting next to somebody who's slipping down a a 2,000-calorie Frappuccino at Starbucks, maybe throw a mask on to protect that person because they clearly care so much about their health. But I find it hard to give that many fucks about people who don't care about their own health. You understand? And maybe that's cold and maybe I'm heartless. But I was a fat motherfucker once upon a time in my life, too. I was about six foot tall and about 230 pounds in the seventh grade. I was a big kid and it sucked and I hated it. And I did something about it. And now I am a specimen, a human specimen of fitness and health. I'm really not. I'm not at all, but I'm doing all right. And I'm pretty comfortable with this situation. And I don't really feel it's necessary. I would rather get COVID than wear a mask or get a vaccine. Just give me the fucking virus So I take care of myself. And there are a lot of people in this country because of things like the federal government has done, like the fucking food pyramid that was paid for by Monsanto and McDonald's, that's pretty much guaranteed to give you fucking diabetes. We have set the, set the stage in this country for a bunch of unhealthy fucking people to be walking around every day or wheeling themselves around in little motorized carts. Getting to Walmart and cruising around. Consume, consume, consume. That's our fucking country. And we're surprised that we get impacted by a mild virus and it kills half a million people. Are we really surprised? Are we really surprised? I feel for old people here. I really do. If you're over 70 and you've, you've taken care of yourself and you're just a product of your age and something gets to you and this is, you know, that sucks. That's hard. But if you're 40 years old and you weigh 375 pounds and you get COVID and die, you were uh, three ticks away from a goddamn heart attack anyways. And this isn't going to be popular. People are not going to love this. This isn't super PC. It's not real soft. But I think that if anything, COVID should wake you the fuck up. Because even if you're moving in the right direction, you're going to be safer. If your lungs are strong and you use them, Then you're more protected in the same way that if your legs are strong and you break your hip, you're probably going to be okay. You can recover from that. But if they're not, then you, you wither away and die. It's sad, but it's fucking true. And we need to be fucking honest with each other and honest with ourselves about what this situation really is. There is a reason that the number one correlate for longevity of independent living is leg strength. Number one correlate. That's not a coincidence. And if your lungs are healthy and strong, you don't smoke cigarettes, and you're not obese, your odds of being negatively impacted by this virus in a substantial way are so small. If, you believe, if you're scared of that, you should be buying lottery tickets every day. The logic is the same. We've got to do better here. And we've got to be more honest about what the fuck is going on. Because people are being sold safety in the form of a vaccine, which is debatable at best, given that vaccine manufacturers pay out billions of dollars, except for they won't with the COVID vaccine because they have liability shields in place, which shows you the confidence that they have. In their product. If they if somebody needs a liability shield to keep people from suing them, that means they're not super confident that their product isn't gonna fuck people up. That's just logic. <laughs> if you're if you're really doing something here that is proven to be safe and effective, then why do you need a liability shield? If the car's not moving, why do you need a seatbelt on? You don't. But when you're hauling ass and taking risks, you do need one. You see what I'm saying? we got to be way more honest with ourselves in the way we're handling this. If you're obese, you need to get your fucking shit together. You need to grow the fuck up and take responsibility for your own health. And I don't want to hear somebody who smokes cigarettes and is fucking obese talking about me needing to protect them. How about you protect your fucking self? It's not my responsibility to keep you from shoving shit in your face hole. That's not on me. Now, the government has some responsibility in this as well for letting companies and our our, our love of capitalism and consumerism, letting companies like Monsanto and Coca-Cola and McDonald's dictate our fucking health policies for the last 50 fucking years. That's a problem as well. There are so many moving parts and so much nuance into why we have such the richest nation in the world and is unhealthy as fuck. There's a reason China recovered from this way faster than we did because they're not all a bunch of fat fucks. They're not slipping down fucking gallon drinks of soda. Why is it... Marijuana is marijuana's not federally legal, but you can drink a gallon of fucking soda? You can get a big gulp? 600 grams of Sugar? That's fine, but you can't smoke a joint. That's the world we live in, and that makes sense to people. That makes sense to people. We've got to be really fucking honest with ourselves now more than ever because there's so much disinformation disguised as information, and so much, so much, so much information. That is so hard to understand what the fuck is even going on. And everybody's got an agenda because there's a profit motive attached to everything. Everything. There's a profit motive attached to our goddamn food pyramid. That's what got us here. That and irresponsibility. From the top, down. From the top, down. We all pay higher healthcare prices because of things like... (laughs) Because of things like the food pyramid and because of obesity, and what it causes, and for those of us that do try and take care of ourselves, we're fucked. We get fucked over this shit. I'm incredibly passionate about this. If you can't fucking tell, I did in my present or my uh, public speaking class in college. I this is what I did. This is what I presented on. There are things we can learn from other countries as well. In the way that they handle this. Like maybe we just, maybe there is some regulation. Yeah, okay. Maybe there's some regulation as far as like how how big a big gulp can be. (laughs) But that would hurt Coca-Cola. And their lobby would never have that. Because money has corrupted our politics to the point where our health becomes secondary. Because we're better, we are more profitable sick. We are more profitable sick than healthy. And we accept it like fucking cowards. We accept that as the state of things in this world. And that is so far away from the reality that we should accept. We should demand better. We deserve better. And I feel for people that are in the high risk category that are dealing with this and living through this. But you got to fucking do it for yourself. I think there's place for government to intervene in things that people can't do anything about and provide a better life for people. I really do. That's what puts me on the left. I think that we should have adequate healthcare. But if our nutrition system is built for profit only, then that healthcare system will always be broken because the profit center will be sick people, avoidably sick people. Choices that make people sick, that seem normal, That's where we're at. And we're not honest with ourselves about it. It drives me crazy. Maybe it drives you crazy too. (sighs) But we got to do what we got to do here. And this is just, this is a lot to deal with. This is hard to handle. And it stings. But at least we're getting some bit of honesty out of this. And maybe... This will move the Overton window. Maybe this will make some changes. Maybe this will wake people the fuck up. If you are weak, you are more susceptible. Plain and fucking simple. All right, let's talk stimulus. It's going to be fun. It's looking like it's going to pass. They'll approve it today, it seems like. But we got this Washington Post article here. It says... What's in the Senate's $1.9 trillion COVID bill, checks, unemployment insurance, and more? So we're just going to scroll down. We're just going to scroll through it, see what we think, see what we feel, see what makes sense, see what's wasteful, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. So in the major buckets here, it goes through, and this is actually one of the better breakdowns that I've seen online. Um, Unemployment benefits, the package extends the existing $300 weekly unemployment benefit through September 6th, as well as providing a tax break on $10,000 in unemployment benefits. I like that a lot. I think that actually makes sense. People are struggling right now. In my opinion, it's the fault of the federal government, and that means it's the responsibility of the federal government to do what they can um, to get these workers through. People that are underemployed or unemployed uh, need a little bit of help. Maybe there's some lazy people out there taking advantage of it, as there always is, but that is what it is. Uh, this is a shit show, and this, to me, uh, feels necessary. Um, the House legislation would have increased the weekly benefit from 300 to 400 per week through August 29th. The $900 billion stimulus package passed in December provided the unemployment of the extra $300 per week. So it's just continuing what they did in that uh, December stimulus package as well. What everybody cares about now is the stimulus checks. The Senate bill would send out $1,400 stimulus checks on top of $600 payments issued through the stimulus bill passed in December, totaling $2,000. So Biden and everybody wasn't technically lying, but eh, you know, whatever it is that people are going to find a way to be pissed about it. Roughly 400 billion of the package would go toward another round of checks. Earlier this week, Biden agreed to narrow eligibility for a new round of $1,400 payments to appease more moderate Democrats. I think this is actually a good idea. If you're in a higher paying job, you probably didn't lose your income. Uh, It was more of a lot of uh, working from home. And I think that that where they put this, actually, the money seems to go where it should go as far as money to the people. I'm sure there's tons of wasteful spending, and we'll talk about that down the road on a few other things. Um, But at the end of the day, the money is going to places where I feel like it will actually boost the economy. We're going to see inflation. Okay. We just need to accept that. We're going to see inflation. Um, but it is what it is. Um, under the new structure, the check would phase out faster for those in higher income levels compared to the formula in Biden's initial proposal. So in the Senate version, individuals earning $75,000 per year and couples earning $150,000 would still receive the full $1,400 per person benefit. However, the benefit would disappear for individuals earning more than $80,000 or $160,000 as a couple. So they cut it off. Instead of tapering it off, they cut it off hard. Makes sense. Um, An amendment offered, this is the minimum wage here, an amendment offered by Bernie Sanders to increase the minimum wage did not win over Democratic support. Now him and Josh Hawley went in together on a corporate tax that would require uh, profitable billion dollar companies to uh, have a $15 minimum wage um, to avoid uh, tax penalties. That didn't pass either, even though I thought that was a nice compromise and a great place to start. But you also have to keep in mind that places like Walmart have been lobbying for $15 minimum wage because they want to shut down small businesses and increase their profit margins because Walmart is a parasitic monster of a company. And they give a fuck about no one besides their bottom line and capitalism. Anyways, (sighs) last month the Senate parliamentarian ruled that the minimum wage hike was not permissible within the rules of the budget reconciliation... Yada yada yada. But the, the minimum wage is $7.25 right now, which is is pretty atrocious. This child tax credit is very interesting. Under the Senate plan, most Americans would receive a $3,000 uh, a year for each child ages 6 to 17 and $3,600 for each child under it, under the age of 6 in a tax credit. Um, the provision in the bill would last one year and be sent very via direct deposit on a periodic basis. It is also a major expansion of the existing child tax credit, which currently provides $2,000 a year for children from birth through age 16 more regular payments are intended to help offset costs families face day to day instead of sending families one annual payment. So uh, I listened to Ben Shapiro talk about this a little bit, and of course he hates this whole fucking thing, um, which is fine. But what it seemed like the difference was here is that the $2,000 a year tax credit was only applicable if you paid taxes, whereas this new one um, of 3000 or 3600 for children under six uh, would be applicable even if you don't pay taxes. So for the poor people that don't pay any taxes would still get this tax credit in the form of a, uh, um, a direct deposit. So they would still get that, which I actually like a lot, uh, because if you're not paying taxes, any taxes at all, that means you're in a pretty rough spot. And if you have children, this could be a really big help. Uh, And I think it is, and and what Ben Shapiro hated about it was that it was a a redistribution check. And what I like about it is that it's a redistribution check on top of the fact that if you do have children and you have a solid income, you are able to pay lower taxes, which I like working people paying less taxes, and that does cut off at a certain income. Um, I don't know what that is exactly, but if you're uber wealthy, you're not going to have to, you're not going to be able to get that because you pay for other tax breaks in other ways, um, aid to state and local governments. This is probably where the most wasteful spending is going to come in. The Senate package uh, designates 350 billion for states, cities, tribal governments, and U.S. territories to continue projects. Oh man. Pandemic response. Tens of billions of dollars will fund coronavirus testing and contact tracing, increasing the size of public health workforce and funding vaccine distribution and supply chains. This week, Biden said there will be enough coronavirus vaccine doses for every adult in America by the end of May. A uh, two-month acceleration from his previous projection of July. He's going to have a handful of those left over. There will be a surplus of vaccines. I have a distinct feeling. So, There's some new provisions in the bill as well. Senate bill provides 510 million for the FEMA emergency food and shelter program. That's great. The Senate version expands the employee retention tax credit for startup companies and other businesses hit by the pandemic. Again, aiming to keep people employed there, which makes a lot of sense as well. The bill also increases the value of federal COBRA health insurance program from 85 to 100%. Not really sure what that does or means, or if that's even substantial. The bill adds $10 billion worth of infrastructure program to help local governments continue crucial capital projects. Again, that makes sense as well because our infrastructure is fucking trash and people are going without water. Um, the bill makes all coronavirus-related student loan relief tax-free. Makes sense. The bill increases the total amount of Amtrak relief funding by 200 million. Again, that's going to make sense because here pretty soon everything go back to normal. But goes back to normal, you're going to need those employees uh, at Amtrak and public transportation. The education for education funding, the bill set aside $1.25 billion for summer enrichment, $1.25 billion for after school programs, and three billion for education technology. The Senate bill also adds eight point five billion in funds for the provider relief program to assist rural health care providers. When I look at this thing, my knee-jerk reaction is it's fine. Now, again, we, we I don't think this bill is as problematic as the first bill was because of where that money went. But it seems like the focus here, and if you look at the numbers, the focus is more on working real people, not corporations, which is one thing I think that that Democrats are doing better at than Republicans were when Trump was president. I think that there's such this this Republican—I mean, there's cronies in all of them, and you guys all know that I think so many—the I mean, whole political system and, and, the, and the money that is involved in that corrupts it to the fucking core. But at least with this song and dance, um, they're doing something for real working people, which I appreciate. That $1,400 stimulus check, you know, if it goes to paying off credit card debt that you acquired over the pandemic— great. If it goes back into the economy, you're buying, you, know, maybe you go buy an AR 15. I don't fucking know what you want to do with it. Do what you want with it, but put it back in the economy or pay off some debt. I mean, that's, that's the thing to do. If you have the ability to do that, if you don't need it to survive, use it for something productive for yourself. And I think it's really important to look at. It's really important to look at how that money being injected back into the economy. It might drive in play inflation, which is just the increase of cost of goods, of course. But at the end of the day, you're going to see an uptick. You're going to see things kick off. We saw a big market correction here in the last couple of weeks. So that's been important to look at, especially when it comes to tech. Um, some IPOs kind of got hammered by that. There's a lot of things that were going on as far as that goes. But I think that those checks, even if you don't need them to survive, are going to do a lot to stimulate the economy by giving people discretionary spending or paying down debt, which is very, very important. Um, and no, I mean, there was a time during the covid this whole COVID thing where I was living on basically just living on credit cards and it was fucking hard. It's really hard. And I like the fact that they're not taxing that uh, first 10,000 worth of um, unemployment as well. That's another great move. I think a lot of the stimulus should be done through tax cuts, like really hard tax cuts on businesses, specifically small businesses. I don't think corporations corporate, if you didn't have to close, that means that you made more money. Walmart, Target, Starbucks, whatever it is, you made more money because small businesses were closed. You get fucking nothing, nothing in the far in the form of tax breaks. If you were a small business, I'm in favor of limiting that taxes to the utmost degree, limiting it until like the whatever the bare minimum amount of taxes that small businesses can pay in t- from 2020 is appropriate. If you were harmed by this, you should be getting more money from the government. You probably lost your ass. People lost their ass building fucking outdoor dining bullshit and fucking little tents over tables and all this other bullshit. Like all of that costs low margin, like low margin businesses like restaurants, tons of money while McDonald's is still running at full capacity and making a fuck ton. So they get nothing. Let's focus on small businesses and do it primarily through direct relief and tax cuts to those companies for 2020. I think they handled this pretty well. I like it. And what can we hope for, right? There's going to be wasteful spending. It's too much money. It harms the deficit, yada, 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 all that things. But you got to do something. And this, to me, seems like a pretty good place to be. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. So I know a lot of people have a lot of criticisms of it, but you can criticize anything the fucking government does if you want to. And if you're conservative and you're fucking concerned about the deficit and the debt and all this other stuff, Well, maybe we should quit fucking spending trillions of dollars on wars for 20 years. I think that's a a, a more uh, appropriate place to focus your energy than uh, stimulus for people who have been damaged by a pandemic. Just a thought. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of Element, L-M-N-T, because it's trendy and it is good. Now, here's the thing. You're not hydrated enough. I know it. I can tell by the way that you're listening to me right now that you are not moist enough on the inside. That is why we partnered with Element to bring you an exclusive offer just for our listeners. If you go to Drink Element, L-M-N-T, D-R-I-N-K, L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. I know it's not the name of the show anymore, but hey, it's what we're using right now drinkelement.com slash wanders, and you can get yourself an eight-pack variety pack, eight varieties of packages to put in your water and absorb it into your body. Now, you need electrolytes. I understand that. You need a little bit of salt, too, because if you're into fasting, keto, carnivore, doing the sauna thing, sauna and ice, all that kind of fun stuff, all that trendy shit, if you're fucking Wim Hof... If Wim Hof is listening to this right now, you need Element. If you want to be like Wim Hof, you need Element. Okay, listen, you got to drink more water. It's good for you. It's good for your immune system. And I know you like to work out. I know you like to stay fit. I mean, I just made fun of fat people for like two hours on this podcast. And if you're still here hanging on, that means you take care of yourself. And you can take care of yourself better with Element. I drink a shit ton of coffee, and I also like to work out, sweat. I'm about to go take my dogs out for a little hike. Like I get out and I do things, and in order to do things, I gotta stay hydrated. And the blend of things inside that element packet will deliver exactly what you need to maximize your hydration absorption in the body. Okay, now Rob will put this thing together. He is one of the founders of Elemental Labs, and he is brilliant. Changed the game for me when it comes to health and nutrition also the author of the paleo solution <sighs> he's a great guy really nice guy too I've met him a couple times really really sweet genuine dude that knows his shit so here's how you what you need to do go to drinkelement.com/wanders Get that variety pack. All you have to do is cover shipping. It's basically free. That's $5 for shipping. And it comes to your house, and you drink it, and you love it, and you buy more. And if you want to be ultra committed to your hydration, make sure to get that lemon habanero. It is the best. You will thank me later. You're going to love it, and if you want to, you can mix it with a little bit of water and a little bit of tequila for that weekend cocktail to take the edge off after dealing with all of the fuckery that we talk about on this show, drinkelement.com slash wanders, this is an exclusive offer offer just for you, super fucking exclusive, and I did this, I, I went through so much to get this sponsor for our podcast, and I swear to God, if you motherfuckers don't buy some element, I will find you. Okay, I will find you. This is already hard enough to talk about this stuff and wade through the swamp and take that dark energy into my body for you. I do it for you. Am I the Messiah? I don't know, maybe. But I know what I am is delivering you quality content and the least you can do is deliver your body some quality hydration with Element. DrinkElement.com slash Wander's Variety Pack. $5, lemon habanero. Get it, do it, stay moist. Women belong in the kitchen. Burger King UK set the world on fire with a tweet yesterday that they also put into print. This is one of their new advertising campaigns. Women belong in the kitchen. Burger King's International Women's Day tweet goes down in flames. And this is an article by a super woke woman, Suzanne Kelleher. And she's a travel blogger or writer for Forbes. Interesting stuff. So we go down here and we look at the tweet Tweet says, women belong in the kitchen, if they want to, of course. Yet only 20% of chefs are women. We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with the opportunity to pursue a culinary career. We are proud to be launching a new scholarship program, which will help female Burger King employees pursue their culinary dreams. Now, they did a very clickbaity thing here. And, uh, of course it worked. I mean, as of the time of this, you have 80,000 retweets, 86,000 quote tweets, 288,000 likes on Twitter. The print version looks really, really good. I think that it, it provided context, not in the form of a tweet, a th- uh, Twitter thread, but they end up apologizing for this. It says, we hear you. We got our initial treat wrong and we're sorry. Our aim was to draw attention to the fact that only 20% of professional chefs in the UK kitchens are women and to help change that by awarding culinary scholarships. We will do better next time. It did exactly what you wanted it to do. That's the thing. When you put out clickbaity controversial tweets, it's supposed to upset some people. That's the reason you do it because then they get all upset and they tweet it. It's the same thing that happened with Ben Shapiro and uh, Cardi B's WAP. Right. So I didn't know what Cardi B's WAP song was until Ben Shapiro started talking about it. And I had to listen to him be like, and the wet ass P word. Like, that was, that's what introduced me to the song. Right. It brought it to, him being upset about it brought that it, it to my attention. And now I think it's a fun song. I think it's great. Um, that's the point. Right. I tried to do stuff like this in my uh, college, um, like social sciences class. And the teacher would always get so mad. She was pretty, pretty liberal. <laughs> and it was, it's challenging to get attention now, right? We live in an attention economy. And what Burger King did was got everyone's attention for a day. And, of course, they apologized. I shouldn't have backed down here. What they did was right. They did the right thing. This was fucking hilarious. So funny. Because now, maybe that, that wouldn't have been funny 20 years ago. But it's funny now because we're in such such sensitive times, it's like, oh, let me stoke the fire a little bit and and shed light on the fact that we're opening up a women's scholarship for our employees to be able to go to culinary school. Okay, good, great, that sounds fucking rad. Like, I love that. And if you look here, this guy says, uh, another guy tweeted, he tweeted the print version, he says, only 24% of chef positions in the US are occupied by women. That's why the BK Foundation launched a culinary scholarship program to bring more women to the leadership positions in the industry. Women belong in the kitchen if they want to work there, and hopefully this, uh, and hopefully in leadership roles. And if you go down and look at the actual data, only seven percent of head chefs are women. So I don't understand what people are so upset about here. Like I don't understand. Like they're putting their money where their mouth is. They made a fun joke, yada yada yada. Move on with your fucking life. Like, it's the patriarchy. It's the patriarchy here. This is, this is the problem. You're being part of the problem, Burger King. Burger King is the part of the problem in a lot of things. But it has not a goddamn thing to do with the fucking patriarchy. And I can't, like, this is one of those things. Why pick this hill to die on if you're, if you're outraged about something? What does this hurt anybody? How does this hurt anybody? And someone claimed that... And I could have read this woman's article, but it's trash, so I don't need to even get into it. But somebody claimed that the initial tweet had more retweets than the subsequent tweets in the thread. Okay. That's always the case with a Twitter thread. Obviously. Like, there's so many things. People just need to be fucking upset about something. This was funny and very well done by BK. The only thing they did wrong was apologize for it. Like... We got to do better than this. What are you upset about? A new scholarship program focused on getting women to culinary school. And if they're working, working at Burger King, I'm assuming they couldn't afford it any other way. So not only is it putting women in culinary school to get them in positions of leadership within the culinary industry, it's women that are generally not capable financially of putting themselves through that school. And if they're passionate enough about it to go through the whole process and work at the motherfucking BK lounge to do so, then Burger King has the right to make a joke or two to bring attention to the good work they're doing. So if you are upset about this, and I'm assuming no one listening to this show is upset about this, but if you are, you can sincerely go fuck yourself. This is insane. Insane. You're upset about this, but some trans woman can flap her pussy all over the place, and that's fine. That's fine. Our way of viewing this is so fucking skewed. So skewed. It's obnoxious. The fact that I I had to bring up Burger King on my show because people are outraged because they made it funny? Like, if they would have just said that, If they would have just said that and nothing else and didn't have a scholarship program or investing money into getting women into color in your school, yeah, you could be upset about it. You could be upset about it if I said that. But I don't know one woman who's upset about this. Not one. But if you're a keyboard warrior and you're out here trying to create equality online as if there's any more impossible task (laughs) that you could possibly task yourself with, then I guess you have nothing better to do. I guess you have, if you were outraged by this, your priorities are fucked. Are fucked. The tweet did not go down in flames. There will be zero consequences for Burger King. Zero. This will only help them. And the outrage only made it better for them. It only made it better for them. Just like what happened with Gina Carano getting fired from Disney and all this other stuff. And now Disney's saying they're not left-leaning and all this other bullshit. It only helps. It only helps them. Trying to cancel things like this now and businesses like this now only helps them because everybody's tired of this fucking bullshit. And if you aren't, you're now part of the problem and you don't realize it. That's the funny part. The funny part is that these well-intentioned pussies think they're doing something good when really they're a part of the problem. If not the problem itself, the irony is not lost on me at all. Well, Arkansas is into some backwoods country shit. Let's get this up here from the article. Arkansas bans nearly all abortions in sweeping measure. Um, let's keep going here. Arkansas has passed a new law banning nearly all abortions in the state, a sweeping measure that, supports, that supporters hope will force the U.S. Supreme Court to revisit Roe v.ersus Wade, but opponents vow to block it before it takes effect later that year because it's fucking unconstitutional, but that doesn't matter. Uh, the state's Republican governor, Asa Hutkinson, Said he was signing the bill because of his overwhelming legislative support and my sincere, long-held pro-life convictions. Hutchinson has signed several major abortion restrictions into law since taking office in 2015, but he had voiced concerns about the bill, which only allows the procedure to save the life of the mother and does not provide exemptions for those impregnated in an act of rape or incest. He repeated those concerns as he announced his decision. Yeah, I would assume that if uh, incest cases were aborted in Arkansas, there would be very few children born. There's a lot of second cousin half-brothers running around Arkansas, from what I understand. Haven't spent a lot of time there, but it is what it is. The ban is in contradiction of binding precedents in the U.S. Supreme Court, but is the intent of the legislation to set the stage for the Supreme Court overturning current case law, he said in a statement released by his office. I would have preferred the legislation to include exceptions for rape and incest, which which has been my consistent view and such exempt exceptions would increase the chances for review by the U.S. Supreme Court. Arkansas is one of at least 14 states where legislators have proposed outright abortion bans this year. The bans were, published, uh, were pushed by Republicans who want to force the Supreme Court to revisit the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion nationwide. Conservatives believe that, that the court is more open to striking down the decision following Trump's three appointments to the court. It's so incredibly unlikely that they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Like the Roe versus Wade thing, they toss that around is like a political football, right? It's similar to guns and a few other things, immigration being one, where the divisiveness around the issue is more valuable than the issue itself to politicians. There is a lot of political capital that is gained by taking a stance pro-life pro-choice and running that into the ground. It's not about logic or it's not about people. It's not about what people's rights are, their needs. It's about political capital. Number one, do not get it twisted. There are people that are very intense when it comes to pro-life and pro-choice. And I'm sure a few of those people make it to a government, but once you get there, it is about political leverage, leverage 100% political capital is everything. Fundraising is so easy to do off of the Second Amendment and abortion. So easy to do. It's so easy to do on gun control and being pro-choice. Those are major fundraising policies for these politicians. And if you want to know the truth, you follow the money. Okay? So it says here, Arkansas's legislation won't take effect until 90 days after the majority Republican legislator adjourns this year's session that means it can't be enforced until the summer at the earliest abortion rights supporters say they plan to challenge the ban in court before then, which will probably do its thing, right? Governor Hitchson uh, we'll see you in court, Holly Dixon, the ACLU of Arkansas' executive director, said. This is politics at its very worst. Alex McGill Johnson, the president of Planned Parenthood Action Fund, said in a statement at a time when people need economic relief and basic safety precautions, dismantling abortion access is cruel, dangerous, and blatantly unjust. Now, here's the thing we need to we need to keep in mind about this. If you're wealthy and your 15-year-old daughter gets knocked up by, I don't know, the youth minister or something, well, then um, you know, You're going to find a way to get an abortion if you want one. Go to a different state, pay a little more somewhere. There's a way to do it. But if you're not, if you're poor and you can't take care of kids or aren't aren't capable mentally, physically, financially, whatever it is, then you don't have access. And the conservative line on when it comes to abortions, and this is dark. We're having a, this is a dark podcast. Okay. We're just going to go full dark. The conservative line for this makes very little sense to me. They want everyone who gets pregnant to have a child. They don't want to allow abortions. But then they also don't understand that a majority of abortions are done out of either financial constraints or mental-emotional constraints. Someone being unfit to be a parent oftentimes, whether they're too young or they already have kids and they can't take care of another one. They're already struggling enough as it is. That's where most abortions come from. So these conservatives that don't want entitlement programs to take care of those children are going to be really mad about this tax credit in the most recent stimulus package that could be permanent. They're upset about that. But they want more people that can't take care of children aren't fit to be parents to be parents. This is a really, really, really sad thing. Abortion is not a fun topic. It's not fun for anybody. The way the conservatives put it is that everybody's like having abortion parties and it's, 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 a, it's a festive gathering of people to abort a, a pregnancy. That's not it. That is not it. That's not how this goes. It's a very sad experience for people. And maybe there's outliers out there that do an Instagram story or some shit. Of course. That's fine. There's a bunch of outliers around here. There was a solid lynching of a black man. They'd be celebrating it online too. There's a bunch of fucking crazy people out there, but the vast majority of people are not stoked about getting an abortion. It's already full of shame and sadness, and it's not a fun experience. No one is pro-abortion. No one's like, I hope. You don't look at someone and say, I hope that you get to go through the experience of having an abortion. That's not how people think or act. It's a very sad thing, but it's also something that is necessary and it's a woman's right to make that decision whether or not she is ready, prepared, in so many ways, mentally, emotionally, financially, all of those things, to be a parent. Because we definitely don't have a problem of having too many good parents out there, right? And there's not just a, an abundance of people adopting necessarily. Now, the adoption agencies were were fresh out of kids. That'd be a different conversation. I'd be like, you know what? Bite the bullet, have the kid, put it up for adoption, do the thing. If there was actually a decent chance that that kid was going to be adopted. But that's not the case. That's not the case a lot of times, especially for black, for black and brown kids. Let's be fucking real here. So, we need to look at this and make common sense regulations. There is a certain point within a pregnancy that it is not okay to abort that pregnancy. You're going to hear this argument, is it a club of cells or is it a life? It depends on what stage of the pregnancy we're at. If you're at seven months, it's a bunch of different situation than if you're at six weeks. We don't know enough about when consciousness is gained. You can't sit here and tell me that your, 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 your old you know history book called the Bible, right? The thing that you believe in full-heartedly has a bunch of science in it. Those people thought that the whole world flooded when their region flooded because they didn't know the fucking world was round, okay? So I'm not going to take my advice on consciousness from a goddamn 2,000-year-old book, all right? That's been edited and manipulated numerous times since it was written hundreds of years after the fact. Okay, so let's just be honest about that situation as well. Maybe not the best um, uh, reference point when it comes to making decisions in the modern day. I don't know. Maybe I upset some people. Again, it's what I believe. Disagree with me if you want. But when we look at this situation, if we had common sense, right? Maybe it's three months. It's so like you got to have this thing taken care of. You, if you can't, if you can't take care of it in an appropriate amount of time, you can't be responsible enough to do that. To make that decision in an appropriate amount of time, out of respect for that pregnancy, whatever it may be, it's not even trying to classify it as a baby or a clump of cells or any of that shit. If you can't make that decision fast enough, then yeah, you need to put that baby up for adoption. Because if you can't make that decision fast enough, you're definitely not ready to be a fucking parent. But there's no incentive for the policymakers to put that regulation in that in that, that in, in place. Because there's too much political capital gained by making egregious statements like late-term abortions are fine, or abortion should be illegal outright. Now, you can, you can stack cash as far as donations go from people who believe what you believe and are convicted about that, but it's not the right thing to do at all, not even kind of but there's so much political capital and so much money tied up in that process that we don't get anywhere with it. We don't get anywhere with it. And that's the sad part to me is that these fuckers are so selfish and so entitled that they can't even make common sense policies for people that are struggling and having to make decisions like this. If you've made a decision like this, I feel for you. That's got to be so hard. So hard. And the last thing that people have had to make this decision need is more shame piled on top of their already existing experience. And the fact that our politicians can't come together, can't compromise, and can't put regulations in place that make this make sense for everyone, and yes, both sides will be unhappy with where the line is, and that's how it fucking should be. That's how it should be. But there's too much political capital and money to be gained for re-election by manipulating manipulating people when there's a common sense solution, and that drives me fucking crazy. Oh well, now it's that time of the show, everybody. If I haven't done it already, may have. Hope it didn't upset anybody out there. I don't really care. Never mind. I'm lying. Oh, I love that you guys like me. Makes me happy. I'm going to give you something to think about. I hope you like my 80s cocaine lounge music like it fits the vibe pretty well. Circumvents expectations. So today, this morning, I was um, not doing this show. Right now it's 1.20 p.m. I was planning on doing this at 7 a.m. uh, because I was watching Meghan Markle and Harry talk to Oprah. And I had posted a thing. It was something saying like, you know, maybe you don't believe that Meghan Markle was suicidal, but Maybe don't put that out there online because you may have friends that are contemplating suicide, especially right now when suicide rates are off the charts. So maybe if you don't believe that, um, just leave it alone. Like, cause you never know how that can impact somebody else that you actually do care about, um, that just isn't really speaking up about that. And I got some pushback on it, ended up in these really long conversations with people that are like, I don't really care about Meghan Markle, but. In any of these long conversations, and I'm like, I'm sitting here talking to you for half an hour on social media, which is obnoxious to me, by the way. If you're one of those people listening right now, I was ready to exit that conversation after five minutes because I truly don't give a shit. I truly don't care. Now, I had conversations with people because I do like people when people do say something. And the reason I engage in longer, longer conversations like that is that I want to see where people are coming from because it gives me content for this show. So if you're in that kind of conversation with me, you're being used for content. That's just how it goes. I want to see where people are coming from. I want to see what the arguments are on all sides. But it got me thinking about this question. Like, why do people give a fuck about what they give a fuck about? And then I realized that that's a nice lens to view Conversations like this from because people generally don't care about Meghan Markle. It's what she represents, maybe. It's envy a lot of times. Um, people don't like people that get attention, especially on that level, especially when you're kind of a, a D list celebrity that marries into a royal family and then cries about it. I understand because people have real problems. But I think, you know, I looked at it, I was like, you know, people have other problems that don't get any attention, and Meghan Markle, with her subtle racism problems in the royal family, her problems get all the attention, and mine don't. And that's kind of where I landed with this one. But I think a lot of us out there, if you're listening to this show, you probably care about what you're talking about, and you speak up when you can, and and you like to challenge ideas, and that's why you're here. That's why you're politically homeless, because if you wanted to just follow along, you would join one of the, other, one of the camps. You'd be a conservative or a libertarian or blah, 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 blah whatever, you know? A liberal, you go to join Antifa. Who fucking knows what you'd be doing? But there's plenty of other podcasts for those types. You don't find yourself here very often. So when we think about this and look at this, I think what we can all do to have more productive conversations and have a little fun with it is either thinking or saying in these discussions, why do you really... Give a fuck about what you give a fuck about, which is really a way to find somebody's values. And when you understand someone's values, and even if you don't have to ask them necessarily, but if you could just look at it through that lens of discerning what their values are, you can have a conversation from the place of their values. And when you're challenging someone, it's really important to understand where their values lie. So keep that in mind. Why do people give a fuck about what they give a fuck about? And that's it for today, y'all. Hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to share it on social media if you can. I really appreciate it. Check out the Politically Homeless Patreon. I got some new merch coming. I'm working on. The, I'm leaving this podcast right now to jump on a call to talk about the new merch store. I want to make some sick designs. They may be a little pricey, but they're going to be legit. I'm excited about it. It's where a lot of my focus is going. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Tell your wife. We're getting politically homeless everywhere. Fucking love you guys. Keep your head on straight, and we will see you next time.